Well, it is a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning physically outside. No rain, at least not for the time being. Some sunshine, and that's good. But it is a beautiful morning spiritually. To be together as God's family, especially on on this day and seeing so many visitors with us. Lots of family members that have come back to uh, uh, to visit, and we are so glad to have you with us. This is a very uh, special time as God's children to be together, to praise and worship and honor God. And, and today we are, our minds for the most part, are thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, that's not our text for this morning, but we'll begin there. Paul writes this. He said, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For I received what I passed on to you as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Paul reminds us and tells us that the very foundation of the gospel, there, 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 there's a lot that we need to know about Jesus. There's a lot that we need to know about God. There's a lot that we need to know about the gospel. But the very foundation of the gospel is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is at folk, that is at the center of our faith. That is at the center of our belief. That is the foundation of the gospel message. In fact, Paul says at the very beginning of this letter in 1 Corinthians, he reminds them, he says, you know, when I came to you, I didn't come with a lot of fancy words. I didn't come preaching a lot of theory and a lot of, you know, uh, philosophy. He said, I came preaching basically one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And along with that would have been the burial and the resurrection as well. And so that kind of brings us where we are this morning. It is the resurrection that sets the gospel apart from great other great stories of martyrdom and sacrifice. You know, cemeteries are full of those who have given their lives for others. You know, we in our country, we, we like to honor those who have sacrificed their lives for others. And we have lots of monuments all over this country that represent our appreciation for those who have given their lives in the pursuit of our freedom or to help other people. But there is a difference. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus did not die and not be raised again. He is more than just a sacrifice to be remembered. On the third day, he arose from the grave. Up from the grave, he arose. I wish I could make that into a song. You know, maybe I'll write that someday. And yes, it's true. We serve, are we going to sing We Serve a Risen Savior? Okay. Is that the invitation? It's the last song. Okay, well, that'd make a good song too. And apparently we're going to sing it a little later. But we serve a risen Savior. We don't have to go and worship some monument. We don't have to go to some place to, to, you know, honor our Savior. 
Because our Savior is alive. Our Savior is here with us. We serve a risen Savior. And that is so different from all other religions and all other faiths and all other anythings in this world. Our text this morning reminds us of the significance of that day. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Death, I think is a topic that we, perhaps many of us, would wish to avoid. You know, for some, it's an extremely uncomfortable topic. And yet we see death all around us. The writer of Hebrew reminds us in Hebrews 9 and verse 27 that we it is appointed unto man once to die. Everybody has that appointment. You know, you may have doctor's appointments, you may have dentist appointments, you may have... Appointments with your lawyer, I don't know, appointments, you know, and you can call and postpone those. Now, they may not like it. You may not get another appointment for a long time, but you can call and postpone it or you can just not show up. But death is an appointment that we all are going to keep. Unless, of course, we're still alive when Jesus comes back. But it's an appointment. Nobody can get out of it. Nobody can get beyond it. And despite advances in medical technology and safety, death still happens. And yet our text this morning tells us that Jesus destroyed death. King James Bible says he abolished death. And I'm thinking to myself a little bit, as maybe you are too, something not quite right here. The text says that Jesus destroyed death. He abolished death. But yet death does not seem to be destroyed or abolished. One of the things that that, that grabs my attention more than anything else is when the state of Texas started started putting up the number of traffic deaths per year on the signs. And we got one right out here in front of McDonald's right now that's, that's keeping... Keeping watch over that. And it's, it just, it blows my mind. That many, in just one state. Just through the first half of April. And we see other signs. We see disease and famine and war and violence. Natural disaster. And much more reminds us on a daily basis that death is seemingly alive and well. Even though Paul said Jesus destroyed it and abolished it. Just pick up a newspaper and read the obituaries. I, you know, funeral homes are not going out of business for lack of customers. Have you noticed that? You know, there's always customers. We see it all the time. Hospice companies are on the rise in our country As we try to care and give comfort to the dying. But if death is certain and death is all around us, then how can Paul write that Jesus destroyed death? How can those two things be? And this morning we'll try to answer that question a little bit. But we'll answer answer a question by asking questions. Okay. 
First question we'll ask, if death is destroyed, why do we still die? Doesn't that seem logical? If Paul said Jesus Christ destroyed death, abolished death, then how come we're still dying? And the very simple answer, the first, I say it's simple, but it's kind of complex. But the very first answer to that question is sin. Sin is the reason there is still death. Going all the way back to the garden, God told Adam and Eve, if they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. They ate of the tree, of the fruit, of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. And they didn't die. Not right then. When you read originally or when you think about what God said to them originally, if you eat of the tree of the, no- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Does that not sound to you like one bite, drop dead? I mean, that's what, it that's what I would have expected to happen. My guess is that maybe what Eve expected to happen. Maybe what Adam expected to happen. So they eat. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. But you see, I think what God meant was from that moment you will begin to die. And he may be talking spiritually. I know, he, I, I think he's talking both. I think he's not just talking spiritually. We understand that. But I think he's also talking physically. And from that moment on, because sin was in the world, death became part of the world. They did not die immediately, but when sin entered the world, it set off a chain reaction that continues today. We die not specifically because of our individual sin. We don't die specifically because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We die because of the ultimate consequence of sin in the world. Death is a byproduct of sin. Because sin entered the world and sin continues to be in the world, death continues to be in the world. And we cannot escape that. We also die because there are just certain, because this world we live in is flawed. And we're flawed. We've talked about this before. There are natural laws that just exist in our world, right? The law of gravity. I don't quite understand it all. I'm no physicist or whatever cyst it is that studies gravity. But I understand that it works. I understand, like, is it Newton? Is that right? The apple falling on the tree or whatever or whoever? Huh? Yes. Okay. Right. I'm stepping beyond my uh, comfort zone here. But I I understand that, you, you know, you put something up, you drop it, it falls. Gravity. Gravity. I also understand the law of physics. The law of pressure against bones. I understand how that works. So if I am on the roof or I am on a ladder and I do something kind of dumb 
and I fall off that ladder. It's not because I sinned. It's not because somebody else sinned. It's because of clumsiness, stupidity, maybe. But at some point, the laws of gravity and physics take over. And I may break my arm. I may break my neck. I may die. Because of just the natural laws that are in the world. God does not suspend those laws for his people. Those laws are out there. And because of sin in the world, things happen. A world we have is filled with evil and violence. A world filled with disease and disaster. And all of this is because of the effect of sin, the consequence of sin in the world. When we die, a death certificate will be filled out. And there will be listed, I suppose, a cause of death. Cardiac arrest. Maybe gunshot wound. Maybe natural causes. But the real cause of every death is sin. We die because sin is in the world. We die because of the consequence of sin, both physically and spiritually. And since sin is in the world, we still die, even though it says that Jesus destroyed death. So, question number two is, in what sense did Jesus destroy death? Obviously, Paul did not mean that because of Jesus' resurrection, nobody would ever die again. So what does he mean? This is a question that Jesus tried to explain to Martha before raising Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 11, you remember that that Jesus had gotten word that Lazarus, his friend, had died. And he waits around a few days and he goes and he finally gets there and Martha, the sister, confronts him. And Jesus said in chapter 11, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says one of those things that is just a little confusing. Sometimes my guess is that Martha stared at Jesus like y'all stare at me sometimes. When I say something and y'all just go, huh? What, what was that? So this is what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Is what he asked Martha. Now let me read that again. Because it will clear it all up if I read it a second time. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think Jesus asked the wrong question. The question probably should not have been, do you believe this? The question should have been, do you understand this? If you live in me and die, you'll live again. And if you're in me and believe in me, you'll never die. What? What? It sounds like you're saying the opposite things, Jesus. 
I don't, I don't quite get it. And so I think that that is what we are talking about here. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But he died again at some point in time. Jairus' daughter, Jesus raised her from the dead. She died again. Dorcas, out of the New Testament, out of Acts, was raised from the dead only to die again. The widow's son from Nain was raised from the dead only to rise again. Elijah and Elisha both raised little boys from the dead in the Old Testament only to die again. The fact that Jesus could be raised from the dead was not so monumental in and of itself. We have record in the Bible of several people who had been raised from the dead. But the difference is Jesus Christ was raised from the dead never to die again. He not only was raised from the dead, but he ascended into heaven to be with the Father. That is what brings us comfort. That is what brings us uh, joy. The fact that, not the fact just that Jesus is, or that we're going to be raised from the dead. But the fact that we are going to be raised to immortality. We are going to be raised never to die again. When Jesus appeared to the women and to the disciples, it was different. He was never going to die again. The power and fear of death was destroyed. Satan's biggest weapon had been rendered useless. That is why Paul said the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death no longer holds fear over us. Death no longer has any power over us. Death gets in a few licks here and there. But death does not have the ultimate power. Death does not have the ultimate authority because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and reigns today. And because he does, so will we. And that is what brings us joy. That is what brings us comfort. When we die, oh, excuse me, on that day, death died. Satan gets his licks in every now and then, but in a sense, we anxiously await our time of death because it is in death that we move from mortal to immortal. Now that's hard for some of us to grasp, isn't it? We're anxiously awaiting death. Something about that just doesn't feel quite right, does it? Something about that just doesn't really sit well, perhaps, with us. I'll tell you this, though. I'm not as old as some of you in here, believe it or not. But one thing I've kind of already learned, for the most part, the longer I live, the more anxiously I await. The longer I see the evil and wickedness in this world, the more I can't wait to go home and be with God forever. Apart 
from all the things in this life. Yeah, there's still things to do. There's still things I want to see and be a part of here. But the older I get, the more I do anxiously await that time. Which brings us to our third question. What is death like for a Christian? As we stand over a loved one, as we cry, it seems to this there is something unnatural about death. You know, I know Solomon wrote, there is a time for everything. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And I get it. Death is just a part of the circle of life or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Doesn't birth just seem so much more natural? Death. So much more what we are about and what we want. And I wonder, I'm not making a big theological statement here, but I kind of wonder if that's because God intended us to be immortal. God intended us to live forever. And because of sin, and because of the consequence of sin, we do, not to give, we do not get to live out our natural aspiration here on this earth. Because we're going to die. But we understand and we know that death for a Christian is the moment in which we transition from this imperfect life to the perfection of the next. It is only in death that we can be resurrected for our immortal state. It is a moment, or should be a moment of joy, a moment of peace, a moment of praise. Death is essentially the culmination of a journey, a goal, a prize to be obtained. That's why in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, Paul seems to be in such a, an emotional struggle. You remember he's in prison. And he doesn't know what the outcome of that is going to be. There is a likely chance... That he's going to be executed. Or die in prison perhaps. And he doesn't know for sure. And he says I am in a twixt between two. I'm in a between a rock and a hard place. I don't know what I should choose. What should I pray for? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation in your life. Where you didn't know what to pray for? That's kind of what like Paul is saying. I don't even know what to pray for. On the one hand. I want to stay around here. I want to continue to preach the gospel. I want to continue to do good. For your sake, I think it would be better for me to remain here so that I could encourage you and you could learn from me and all these different things. But on the other hand, to go home and be with God is just slightly better. Paul's sitting there and he's going, you know what? I think it's a, it's a 49-51 kind of thing. 49%, it'd be good to stay here. 51%, y'all know that's not right, right? Y'all know that's not what he says. He says, I know that to go home and be with the Lord is better by far. Not just barely better. Better by far. And I understand the predicament Paul was in. 
like I said, the older I get, the more I understand the desire to go home and be with the Lord. But I got things to do here. I got things to accomplish. I got grandkids. I want to see grow up and experience and the joys with them and all of that. I got, I got, I got things to do. But I know that to go home and be with the Lord is better by far. And that is what Paul is encouraging us. And that is what he is saying. In Corinth, we read that out of 1 Corinthians 15. In Corinth, some questioned that the resurrection of the dead was possible. We've talked about this in the, in the high school class because we're studying 1 Corinthians. And we've talked about this before. But some of the early Christians... Were confused. They knew that Jesus promised to return. And they knew that when Jesus returned, he was going to take the faithful with him to live in glory forever. But they thought that that promise was only for those who were still alive when Jesus came back. In other words, if you died, Before Jesus came back. So sorry. You missed out. You don't get to go to heaven. Because that promise is only for those who are still alive. And Paul comes along and says. Are you people crazy? Now I'm, you know. That's not exactly what he said. But he said. Do you think it's too hard for God? To raise the dead. This is the same God that created the world. This is the same God who separates, you know, plant DNA and animal DNA and all these different. This is, this is Lord God Almighty. This is the same God who raised Jesus Christ. And if he can create the world. And he can raise Jesus Christ. What makes you think he can't raise you? And you know, over in 1 Thessalonians, he actually says, and in fact, for those of you who just think, ooh, you know, it's only for those who are still here, let me let you in on the secret. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. <laughs> you thought you were going to be the only ones. Not only are you not going to be the only ones, you're going to be last. Because when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, those who are still living. Not only are the dead not going to miss it. The dead are going to be preeminent in Jesus' return. It is a time, or the, you know, the, the death is, is something that we ought to look forward to, believe it or not. So yes, that day. When the tomb was empty, the risen Jesus Christ destroyed death. He abolished death because we can be raised again, never to die in the glory of our Lord. Death still exists. We will still all die. But there should be no fear of death. 
There should be no dread of death for those that are in the Lord. Because death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So because Jesus Christ, we have the hope of being raised as well. If you're here this morning and there's some way that we can help you. If you've never responded to the gospel message, the simple gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then we invite you to come. If there's some other way we can encourage you, why don't you come now as we stand and we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.